this is very informal, so if you have any questions, ask away, okay? Or if you want to say something, feel free. I'll be happy to answer anything you all want to know that I can answer, if I can answer. Okay. All right. So this is, the title of this is Our Hope for the Children. So we're going to talk a little bit about the gospel for the children around the world. And um, the way I'm going to start it, I want to show you a video first, and then I'm going to go back and uh, we'll go from there. So let me try to start the video. It should work. Let's see if I hit that. I met Karen a few years ago. She was a beautiful little girl, but really quiet. I could tell she was carrying a heavy burden. She'd just stare into the distance like an empty shell. We started spending time together and I learned why there was no life in her eyes. Karen's parents separated when she was very young and she lived with her mother. It was tough, but that was just the beginning. On a cold night in December, right after Karen turned nine, a man broke into their house. He started yelling at the family and throwing things. Karen and her brother hid in the corner and watched as the man attacked their mother. He wrestled her to the ground and began to beat her. Karen screamed and jumped on the man to try to stop him, but it was too late. Her mother was dead. Karen barely escaped with her life. The situation continued to spiral downward when Karen learned that her siblings were being abused. Karen was devastated. She began receiving counseling at AMG. That's when I met her and we became friends. I'm the director of finance for AMG in Guatemala, but I also mentor young girls like Karen because I believe this program has the power to heal and transform. Karen has grown a lot since I met her. We've come a long way together. Broken lives can be repaired into a wonderful testimony of God's grace. Lives of at-risk youth are like falling into a raging river and being carried downstream. Once the river takes you, it's very difficult to escape. The further you're carried downstream, the greater the threat because you're bashed on the rocks and injured along the way. We want to help rescue kids downstream. But even more, we want to go upstream and build a bridge so the kids don't fall into the ravine in the first place. This bridge is built on organizational partnerships, providing things like childcare, education, healthcare, discipleship, and job placement. It's a solid community safeguarding a child from three years old to young adulthood. There is a bridge to hope. There is a bridge to life. I know it works. 
because I've crossed it. My story was similar to Karen's. I could have ended up in the streets like so many children. But AMG showed me the love of Jesus and gave me a new life. I know what Karen's been through, and I'm committed to walking with her across this bridge. We're on this journey together, encouraging one another along the way. And we're not alone. We're surrounded by other mentors and youth who are on the same journey. All things are possible with God. Kids can be protected, rescued, healed, and transformed into leaders that will invest into future generations. They're shining examples of what's possible, casting vision and inspiring everyone around them. There is a bridge to hope. There is a bridge to life. To learn more about AMG, Bridge to Life, and how you can make a difference in the lives of at-risk youth around the world, please see amgbridgetolife.org. I just want to show you this video to introduce the subject because what you see there happens all around the world. It is common and that's, those are the challenges that kids around the world are using. All right, our hope for the children. I want to first to give a little bit of a biblical grounding about why we need to care for the children and how Jesus dealt with uh, the children. And when you look in, in the scripture, you don't see a lot of interaction. I mean, you don't see Jesus interacting with kids a lot. But when you do, you see him uh, healing kids, you see him blessing kids. And I want to go to one specific part, it's very well known. It's when um, the disciples take the children or try to prevent the children from going to Jesus. And it's in Mark 10, and it's verses 13 through 16, and you can read right there. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, the first point from this is that Jesus loves the little children. We know that. Jesus loves all the children in the world. And when we go back to that passage, the interesting thing is, uh, first of all, in verse 13, it says they. Who is they? It's probably the parents. Probably the parents were bringing their kids to Jesus so that he could bless them. And what are the, the disciples doing? They are probably thinking they are going to protect Jesus from this unnecessary interruption, that he's got too much stuff to do and that this is really not necessary. So they are not going to let those little kids go and know Jesus. But what happens when Jesus notices his disciples, his disciples doing that? He's not very happy. Yeah, I mean, he says he was indignant. And he, he's, he just tells his disciples to let the kids come to him and he takes the kids and blesses them. And then he says that you have to have a childlike attitude to 
to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It is a really neat interaction. And indeed, God cares for all the children of the world. As the song says, they are all precious in his sight, whether yellow, black, or white. I mean, that's the, Jesus loves the little kill, children. He wants children to come to know him as Lord and Savior. He wants children to spend eternity with him in glory. Now, what is the implication for us when we look at, at this little passage? What do we need to do when it comes to children? We definitely need to be sharing the gospel with children, starting with our own homes. There are many neat statistics about the impact that we can have with the children in our own homes. When you ask um, evangelical Christians when they came to faith, uh, it, the statistic is startling. For those children that grew up in committed evangelical homes where the um, parents were committed followers of Christ and lived out the gospel for their children, 85% of the kids came to faith before the age of 18. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a huge number. It's a, you can't, that statistic is, it says everything you need to know. If you, if you really are a follower of Christ, the first people to invest in are your own family and your own kids. And that's the time to reach them. And uh, that's certainly true for, my, for myself. I mean, uh, my parents were very committed believers, and I came to faith at a very young age because they lived what they said. When I was a, a child, I remember an old faithful uh, gospel worker in Greece, and he would ask this question, what is greater, 10 plus 70 or 70 plus 10? So what is greater? And he would answer, it's 10 plus 70, because if you are a child, and you come to faith when you are 10, you have 70 years in which to serve the Lord. But if you are 70 when you come to faith, well, that's wonderful. You have all these years that you are not able to use for God's glory. So he would answer that 10 plus 70. When we look at the, the world today and we, look, and we look at what we need to do to reach people in the gospel, one of the uh, things is we realize is that there are a lot of children. According to UNICEF, which is the UN agency that deals with children, there are 2.2 billion children in the world. That is a little bit less than a third of the world's population. That is a lot of kids. But one of the biggest problems in reaching those kids is poverty. Because so many of them live in poverty. More than half of those kids live in poverty. And each day, each day, there are 18,000 kids that die from preventable causes, from malnutrition, from disease. 18,000 children under the age of five die each day from those causes. Uh, when, to put that in perspective, before I came here, I looked up the population of Albuquerque. And according to Google, when I looked it up, it said it was 550,000 people. And uh, to put it in context, this is one Albuquerque wiped out off the map every month. That's how many it is, how many kids basically die for no reason. And you can look at other statistics that are, uh, that are amazing. One in 10 people around the world lacks access to clean water. And that's a big reason why a lot of those kids uh, die. This is, this is, I found this mind-boggling. There are 
more people with a cell phone than have access to a functional toilet. Okay? If you can imagine that. Even some places we go to in the mission people, uh, field, people will have a mobile phone, but they won't have access to a toilet. That's how the, what the situation in the world is. Now, this is, this is my second point I want to highlight today, that Jesus loves the poor children. Jesus loves all the children, but he especially loves the poor children. When we are addressing poverty, we have to ask ourselves, what does God want us to do? Now, when you look back in the Old Testament and we think of God's punishment for Israel, what, do we, what comes to mind? It was basically turning to idols, right? That's what most people immediately think of when they think of Israel's disobedience um, in the Old Testament. But one of the reasons that, that Israel was sent into exile, it was disobedience in caring for the poor. There are many passages. These are just a few. Let me read just one of them. It's from Isaiah 58. Verses 6 and 7, it says, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? And that's a reason to care for children because Jesus punished Israel, I mean, God punished Israel because they were disobedient in caring for the poor among their own. God expects us to do that. The Bible does instruct us to take care of the poor. Um, one, many passages, let me read you one from Leviticus 25, 35. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner and he shall live with you. And in 1 John, um, 3, 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So we see the Bible basically instructing us to take care of the poor. And again, that is really important because one billion of the world's children are in poverty. We also see Jesus having compassion for the poor. Um, many verses again. I'll read one that's not on the list from Matthew 9:36 from the Holman Christian Bible. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. So Christ had compassion and cared for the poor and needy. There are many, many more passages, and we need to take care of the poor and we don't have time to examine all the biblical verses this morning. Uh, but it is very clear. But let me ask you this. Who is poor when we talk about poverty? What comes to your mind? If I say this person is poor, what do you think of? What's the first thing you think of? Not enough food, not enough stuff? I mean, hope. Well, that's a great answer. Because the typical answer is that the... Um, what people are lacking is stuff. The immediate thing when think people think of poverty is lack of material stuff, whether it is money, whether it is food, whether it is clothing. Those are the things that uh, people uh, think. But why is that important? The reason it is important to ad identify what poverty is is because based on your diagnosis, that's the solution you're going to propose. If your head hurts, 
And it's because of a brain tumor, taking aspirin is not going to do you much good. You have to diagnose the problem correctly in order to help the situation. So if the problem is lack of stuff, you provide stuff. If it is something else like hopelessness, you have to do something completely different. Now, the best qualified people to answer what poverty is are the poor, poor themselves. And I put some answers. The World Bank did a survey of many thousands of people around the world, 60,000 people, I think it was, and asked them about their poverty. And there are many interesting answers. I, I picked three of them. This one is from Moldova, actually. And it says, th this person from Moldova says, for a poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. We are cripples. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We are like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. Do you see mentioning lack of stuff? Another one from Vietnam. If you are hungry, you will always be hungry. If you are poor, you will always be poor. There is this sense that they cannot escape that. One last one from Uganda, where uh, some of you have been. Okay. When one is poor, she has no say in public. She feels inferior. She has no food, so there is famine in her house. No clothing and no progress in her family. So do the poor say they are lacking stuff? Not really. They are describing their situation in terms of feelings, of emotions. And they are saying there is this sense of hopelessness that you very correctly identified. That they cannot escape that. They are stuck in their situation. What does it take to bring hope in someone's life? Yeah, that's where the gospel comes in. Uh, when I was in Uganda in 2013, I remember this sweet little girl. Well, this is a picture from Uganda. This is not the girl that I'm talking about, but these are all the girls look like that <laughs> that I ran into. But I remember this little girl, and she had the biggest smile on her face. And she was very happy. I mean, she lived in a house with a dirt floor, like so many of the kids uh, they're living. And uh, she didn't have much, but she was so excited and she was so happy that she could get up in the morning, do her chores, eat her breakfast, go to school from 8 to 6, then go back, do more chores, do homework, take a bath, sleep. I mean, that's her life. Not, not much entertainment, no iPads, iPhones, or i-anythings. But yet she's very happy because she's in a place where she can get the tools she needs for a better future. She has the opportunity to go to school. And then she has the opportunity to learn about Jesus. And that changes everything. Introducing the gospel, introducing um, uh, what they need to help them get out of poverty is, is a great thing. When we look at poverty from a biblical perspective, and I took this image from a book called um, When Helping Hurts. It's by two professors at Covenant College right in my hometown. Brian Fickert and Steve uh, Corbett. And uh, it's a great book, by the way, if you really want to know about poverty. But when you look at poverty from a biblical perspective, it is not just ma it's not material poverty. Poverty is a set of broken relationships. It, a set, it, it starts with a broken relationship with God. It's a broken relationship with self, a broken relationship with others, and a broken relationship with community. Uh, and with creation. So this is what happens when sin enters the world. It breaks the system that God had in mind and it breaks our relationships with others. Some people like to address just the spiritual 
poverty. But you cannot just do that. Some people like to address the material poverty, but you cannot just do that. You have to address the whole person. You have to address all aspects of this to really reconcile. That's why the gospel and practical help are both needed to, uh, to address poverty. When you look at uh, material poverty, there are the, the World Bank just updated statistics a month ago. So these are the latest. It defines extreme poverty as having a dollar ninety or day a day or less around the world. And then there are two point one billion people that live in poverty on less than three dollars ten cents a day. I mean, that's a lot of people. I mean they can I mean that's less than a Starbucks coffee that they live on. Okay. So you have to address all of a person's needs, physical, spiritual, emotional. And what happens is that Jesus transforms communities when we care for children. When we go and try to solve the problem um, of poverty in a biblical way, God changes everything in the whole community. I showed you the video earlier, and that's uh, uh, Nidia in the picture. Uh, she has a very interesting story. She's 21 years old now. She's the director of finance in Guatemala for us. And she has been associated with MGC since she was three. She came into our program when she was three years old. She comes from an extreme poverty background. And she grew up, uh, like so many of those kids, grew in places where there is uh, gang activity, there is malnutrition, there is disease. Uh, her brother was shot three times in, in their little community. He got caught in the crossfire between uh, gang members shooting each other. Uh, he, thankfully, he survived. But that's the environment these kids uh, grow in, in slums around the world. She's the second of four kids. And uh, her father was uh, an abusive alcoholic. That's also common in so many places around the world, that they will grow in homes where there is uh, either a missing father. In fact, let me tell you this, there are 183 million orphans in the world. You know how many adoptions, expatriate adoptions, were in the U.S. last year? 6,000. I mean, the number actually has been going down. So you have all these kids around the world that grow in terrible situations with abusive fathers, and, and they need help. And Nidia got help. I mean, see, we are, we're, she came to our program. We were able to um, care for her. Uh, she did well academically. We were able to help her through university. And now she's a CPA in uh, Guatemala and she's managing all our finances for 8,000 kids in Guatemala that are under AMG's in AMG's programs. Um, when I was in Guatemala uh, last year, I was there with my wife. I was blessed to go with my wife last year. And uh, we went and visited the Guatemala City Dump. Okay? To go to the Guatemala City Dump, you go through a graveyard. And there are some luxurious graves, and there are some really ugly graves. They are all dead, and they all give account for what they do. But you go through the graveyard, you get to the edge of the graveyard, and you have this panoramic view of the Guatemala City Dump, and it stinks. But uh, here's the interesting part. Uh, pretty soon you start to get used to it. It's always amazing to me how you can, if you put yourself in an environment that is not a good one, if you allow yourself to be in that environment for a long time, you just start get to get used to it. There is another biblical lesson there. But you could see the vultures circling overhead and the trucks pulling in after the other. And it's hard to see, but there are people lining up behind the trucks 
waiting for them to empty the trash so they can go through the trash and find stuff of value that they can sell. And there is a whole community that lives there in that garbage dump. Yeah, and it, it's sad. Uh, can you imagine living in a place where there's filth and disease like that? That's, that's hard. Uh, my wife was, uh, uh, went to Passion this year in Atlanta, and uh, she got Lou Giglio's book, uh, The Comeback. And she was sharing a passage with me that's very appropriate. In, in that passage, uh, Lou Giglio points out that historians and archaeologists say that Golgotha, where Christ was crucified, was actually a landfill. And what the, what the Romans would do, they would take the people there, crucify them there, and then usually there was nobody to claim the bodies, so they would dump the bodies in that landfill, and then uh, dogs and other feral animals would come and eat the bones, the flesh of the bones of the people that were dumped there. Okay, that, that was Golgotha. It was the ugliest landfill you can imagine. That's the place where Jesus was crucified. And yet, in that very place, Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus connected a landfill to paradise. Because of that sacrifice and because he paid the penalty for our sins, we can have eternal life with Christ. And uh, God takes the garbage of that landfill and connects it to paradise, which is amazing to me. Connects us to glorious heaven. And in Guatemala, the same thing is happening because right outside that landfill, there is a brand new project that started two years ago. And uh, interestingly, it is funded by uh, a foundation run by the wife of the mayor of Guatemala City, who is an evan who is, she is an evangelical Christian. And she, uh, she is providing, her foundation is providing the funds to run this project we ran that project right outside that garbage dump. And the, the kids that are from the families are now coming there. And they are so developmentally behind. It's, it's, so, it's a really hard project. But we, and we are blessed because we are connecting those kids to the gospel. They are coming from the landfill to the gospel. And it, it's special for us. Our ministry in Guatemala started 40 years ago. And uh, it, this is our 40th anniversary. It was this past February. Um, and over those years, we have seen so many lives changed, transformed, as we have invested in kids. There are tens of, 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 tens of thousands of kids whose lives have changed for this life and for eternity. There are lawyers, there are teachers, there are um, uh, professionals that have gone through the program and their lives were changed. And they are transforming their community. They are leaders in their churches. Even the, the guy who heads uh, the Human Resource Department for the Guatemalan government is a product of our sponsorship program. So can you imagine the influence that you can have when you invest in the life of children and they do come to saving knowledge? It doesn't always happen, but when they do come to a saving knowledge of Christ, then they go into positions of influence. They can support themselves and their families with the tools that they have gained. And God is using that. We, we call our program the Bridge of, to Life 
uh, we have recently rebranded our child care program as Bridge to Life because we liken it to taking a kid when they, were th they are three or whatever age they are and helping them cross this bridge, reaching early adulthood on the other end where they can serve um, the Lord. And there are so many, so many things that they need to overcome. It varies greatly depending on the country and the place. Even within the same country, the challenges are different. Uh, this is for Guatemala City, and uh, things you have to overcome are um, drugs, violence. Gangs is a huge problem in Guatemala City because when the kids get to 12 or 13, imagine living in a slum in where with an alcoholic father, and uh, you are looking, the, what the gangs offer is a sense of belonging, of community. They provide for easy resources because if you join the gang, all of a sudden you are out of poverty because... Uh, you have all this stuff that, that you need, and you also have this group that is taking care of you. And that's what they are finding in a gang. Okay? And so it's not much different than other places where there are gangs. And um, the, of course, there is a very short life expectancy for those kids because so many of them die. They don't reach adulthood when they get into that environment. Uh, but that's what they provide. So that's what we have to overcome. And to overcome that, it takes a lot of things. It takes a lot of partnerships because it is not enough to go and feed a kid and uh, give them an education. I mean, that, that is the baseline. But in order to prevent them from getting into the trouble that they, they can get into, we have to keep them as busy as possible so, and, and provide other things. Uh, we have so many partnerships. It's amazing when the kingdom of God uh, the, the people in the kingdom come together and they work together because we work, for example, with Young Life, who does discipleship for the kings. We work with uh, the International Justice Mission, who persecutes the most severe cases of abuse in Guatemala. We work with a sports ministry that provides sports opportunities for the kids so that they, will, they have something else. Um, there, is an, there are arts opportunities. And there is, a, there is a partnership with Mariano Galvez University, which is the largest private university in Guatemala, that offers scholarships to some of those kids. So it takes a lot to really make a difference. It takes the whole body of Christ. It takes sponsors who are funding the program. It, 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 everybody needs to mobilize and come together to make a difference. And when we do that, we see a lot of success. Um, there are, again, teachers, business owners, professionals, lawyers. I recently got an email from, um, from a guy from the, by the name of Emerson Estrada. Um, he's in New York City. And I would like to read to you. He says, I attended, I attended the Bervena School in Guatemala City with my, my, with my younger brother for six years, from 1983 to 1989, before moving to the United States. Now living in the New York City area, my family and I still serve the Lord in our local church. I'm a musician and small business owner. My brother is a sound engineer, and we have a very special memory of our time at AMG and at Camp Canaan. That's the camp where all the children in our programs go for a week uh, every year. The foundation that was placed in us while attending school while, at, while attending school there has helped us in our lives. Thank you and keep doing the Lord's work. I'm actually proof that what you are doing that AMG works. I mean, that's a, such a great encouragement for me to get that from an email, somebody finding it on the web and telling us that. And there are many, many testimonies, and that's the exciting thing. And it's not just Guatemala. There are 25,000 kids in, in India that we help to, to care. 
some of them in one of the school, a lot of them come from, they are girls that are coming from the families of prostitutes. Now, because of the caste system in India, uh, those girls, without help, are going to be prostitutes because their mothers were prostitutes and because their grandmothers were prostitutes. Can you imagine growing in an, in an environment like that? And it, it is heartbreaking and sad to see that happen. So investing in their lives helps to change everything. Uh, earlier, and I'll tell you this, when we reach the kids, and these guys were talking about the downstairs, we, re we reach their families. It is not, we are not just reading the kids. We are able to penetrate into their families. Um, this picture is from Uganda, and, and uh, Ruben told me this, this testimony, and he may have mentioned here, I don't know, but uh, he was telling me about a young girl that is in our program, and she comes from a Muslim family. Now, in th there are many Muslims in Uganda. Some of them are nominal Muslims, some of them are practicing Muslims. And um, this girl was under her grandmother's care. So her grandmother was taking care of her. Uh, but she wanted for her granddaughter to have opportunity, and really AMG was the only place she could go to have that. So she told her granddaughter, well, you, uh, what we are asking families to do when they come to our program, we ask them to sign and acknowledge that we'll be teaching the Bible to them. Yeah, that's non-negotiable. We'll be teaching the Bible to them. So this grandmother told her granddaughter, like, I'll sign this, and you'll go there, but uh, don't pay any attention, we'll remain Muslims, okay? We don't want to change our faith. Well, the daughter did come to the program, and she actually didn't listen to her grandmother. She came to a saving knowledge of Christ, which is neat. And that's not the best part. Her grandmother came to faith, okay? When you show the love of Christ, lives are touched. And um, it's neat to see how God is using that to draw people to him. Um, I'll share with you one more story about how when caring for children uh, impacts family. This lady is in uh, the Philippines. She, uh, her name is Abrila. She's 35 years old. She has six children, two boys and four girls. Be she's in, in extreme poverty. She, was, uh, she gave up two of her kid children for adoption because she couldn't take care of them. And then, but uh, we are able to help her uh, with her little daughter. Uh, her husband, she's trying to provide for her family by making rice cakes and stuff like that and selling it because her husband was paralyzed in 2011. He was um, a manual laborer and what he would do is he would uh, go climb coconut trees and collect the coconuts and basically sell the fruit and he would get, uh, what was it, two pesos for every fruit, four and a half cents for each coconut that he was collecting. And then he fell and he was paralyzed, has never been able to walk since. So that's the situation for the family. Now, uh, she's a Christian, she's, an, she's a committed believer and her four-year daughter there, a four-year-old daughter, her name is Angel. She looks like an angel. She's a sweet little thing. She's at the home of hope at, uh, at our project in the Philippines, and we are able to help her. And we come alongside also the whole family. We work with the local church. We always try to work with local churches in our child care projects because it is very important to have that component to disciple the parents, to disciple the families. And we are able to disciple her 
to disciple other parents of kids that are in that project. And uh, this provides a lot of support for them. It takes the church, it takes the gospel, it takes the church to really make a difference in people's lives. Poverty is a huge problem around the world when we are talking about uh, dealing uh, with children. And poverty has also a lot of other side effects. I, I mean, if you've heard the news, you know, if you follow the news some, it's not covered that much, but you know that there is this big refugee uh, movement uh, that is coming from Syria and Afghanistan to Europe. Okay. Uh, what is happening in that situation is actually tragic. Y there, are, there was a big article in, uh, Turkish, in Turkish media about Syrian refugees selling their kids for 700 to $1,700, um, selling the girls to become child brides, okay? Or uh, they end up in prostitution. And you're talking about kids as young as uh, 12, 13 years old. Um, sad, really, really sad and tragic. So uh, there are about 200 million kids that are in risk of human trafficking because of, and it goes back to poverty. And I have the greatest respect for those ministries that are trying to get women out of uh, human trafficking. It is an extremely hard uh, ministry. It takes a lot of human capital and the return is very small. The best thing to do is to prevent it from happening in the first place. So. If we are able to take the gospel to children and invest in them and help with, their in, with them while they are in poverty, we help to prevent a lot of that stuff from going on later. We are able to restore the life of, of children to see them become uh, image bearers of God. I mean, that's what we are designed to be. We are designed to be restored image bearers of God and we are able to invest in the lives of children and help them become that. And when we are able to reach them young, that's the best time to reach them with the gospel. It makes a difference. It changes their lives forever. It changes their lives for this earth. It changes their lives for eternity. And it brings hope in their lives. And that's what we are doing. Um, so that's basically a brief overview of children in the world today and what, what the gospel can do to change their lives. If you have any questions, feel free to ask me. I'll be happy to answer them. I have to count the countries because I didn't count them off head. Uh, I think it's about uh, 10 countries. Uh, many, many projects. There are 40,000 children in total. And the reason we are able to do that is because we have a lot of partners that are helping to sponsor children. And it's a, it's a holistic approach. It's, ca it's customized to every region in the world and uh, because the needs are different in each place that we work in. And um, uh, we are able to, in, all, in every center, we are able to introduce the gospel to them. Uh, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, nearly all the projects have some connection to a local church. So we are able to invest. In fact, I mean, I didn't tell you this, but there are many churches in Indonesia that started because we started a child care center and then kids came to faith and then a church started in the local context. So it goes both ways. The church helps the center 
when there is a sender, it helps to grow the local church. It helps to transform the local community. So 40,000 kids in, you know, I, I think it's about 11 countries around the world. So I could count them before the next presentation will be right now. But anyway. Home of Hope. Yeah, that's a, a really an orphanage. It's kind of an orphanage. Um, so yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So, uh, most of the orphans that are there actually have relatives. And they are taken, I mean, some of them are taken from their homes because there are abusive situations. Some of them are there, like in this case, because uh, the, uh, the parents can't take care of them. It's impossible for them, but we try to provide. The whole thing in, in orphan work, that, uh, in, uh, we don't do a lot in orphan work ourselves, but the whole thing is to try to basically get the family involved and have the, reunite them with the family as much as possible. It, it's, they need, the kids need that. In Uganda, there is a lot of trafficking, yes. In Uganda, in, in general. I mean, but when you are able to put them in a place like Upendo, you help prevent that from happening. Um, because, you know, in most cases, the people who are... Uh, how the kids end up in trafficking is because their own parents have sold them. Sad but true because they are desperate. And when you go to a family and you say, here is $1,000, that is a ton of money for that family. And that helps them care for everybody who's left behind. And the way they, they, they sell that is not, it's like, not don't sell your kid. It's like, we are going to take that kid there and this, she's going to have, or he's going to have a much better life and there'll have be, be opportunity for them there. So uh, that's what happens. But there are 200 kids that are at risk of human trafficking, 183 million orphans in the world. Huge numbers. One billion kids in poverty, 1.1. And, and I, uh, yeah, adoption in the United States last year, expatriate adoption, 6,000 people. 6,000 kids, that's it. Be praying for the kids. Be praying for the kids of the world. Um, there is opportunity. God is moving. Many lives are changing. There are many wonderful agencies that are investing in the life of kids, making a difference in their lives. So, and the gospel is advancing among them. So please be praying for them. Thank you. <laughs>